0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. But we're going to start with uh, reading, I know, an entire chapter. It's only six verses, though. Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. It's a wonderful way to wrap up this series because this song of praise that we have just read in Isaiah chapter 12 is the one that we will be singing. We can sing it now, but we will also be singing on that day. Regardless of the mess that we are in, regardless of how tangled up life can be, regardless of the mess I've made of my own life, regardless of the reality of the snarls and the snags that we see right now in this world, this is where we're headed. This is where God is moving this world. This is where God is directing his people. On that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the people Proclaim that his name is exalted. So from this psalm, we're going to be just looking at two phrases that I think summarize a lot of what we've been saying through this entire series, Untangling Christmas. And that phrase, first of all, is that God is my salvation. This comes up twice in the text. And then the second, with joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. So God is my salvation, notice that, that's a fascinating phrase, God is my salvation. It comes up twice, and the word for salvation, you probably have heard it before, it's the word Yeshua. Oh. Oh. Amazing. Amazing, isn't it, yes. So the name Yeshua is actually the name of Jesus in the Hebrew, it's also um, Hosea and Joshua and Hoshea are all the same. Basically, God is, the Lord is my salvation. Yeshua God saves and the word means deliverance and help it can mean prosperity in the sense of God being giving us bounty and beauty in life and connections salvation security victory now one of the earliest occurrences of this word actually I think Isaiah when he was writing this song of praise had it in mind occurs at Exodus chapter 15 And this is right when the children of Israel have walked through the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea, they walked on dry land, they get to the other side, and then the entire Egyptian army is destroyed and drowned in that sea, and then it says Moses and the people of God gathered together and sang a song. And often, I don't know if you realize this, songs, music, are part of the joy, the celebration. What party doesn't have music, right? What celebration doesn't use music? And when it's spontaneous and it's just amazing how we want to break out into song, we sing of God's salvation like the children of Israel did. And so these words, ex- Exodus 15, it says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider He is thrown into the sea. Notice these words here, very similar to Isaiah. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. So Exodus, the whole story of how God saved his people, brought them from slavery to freedom how God met with his people, stayed with his people, walked with his people, and delivered his people into the Promised Land, that story of Exodus is foundational to Isaiah and all of the prophets. They look back at that story and say, what God did there, he's going to do again. And he's going to bring it to completion. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Now, you might go like, wow, that sounds so positive, It's so wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, though, at the same time, the Bible is not optimistic. It's neither pessimistic. It's realistic. The Bible is not optimistic about human nature. It's not optimistic and looking kind of through rose-colored glasses at the children of Israel and how wonderful they were in Egypt or how wonderful they followed God. That's not what the Bible does. And the Bible is not, as we have talked about the whole idea of untangling Christmas, God came into this world because it was a tangled mess. Isaiah's time was a mess. It was a disaster. It was all sorts of chaos going on. They were wondering whether they were going to live or die. They were wondering as a people if they were going to be around anymore or not. The Bible's not optimistic about human nature. It doesn't try to excuse or rationalize or justify why people do what they do, or come up with some re- you know You don't need to know why, actually. You don't need an explanation for fallen human nature. You need a solution to it. <laughs> We're always asking for an explanation, and often an explanation doesn't do us any good. We need a solution. Now, I said the Bible isn't Optimist, the Bible isn't pessimistic either. The Bible isn't really the story about how human beings messed up, made a tangled mess of everything, and who did what and when and how and how terrible it was. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is a story of God getting involved in human history. It's a story of how God chose, of all things, to identify himself with specific human beings. He calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the universe. He's not the God of the wind and the fire and the rain. You know, all those powers and all those attributes are maybe true, but what he chooses is to covenant to promise, to connect. And then how he weaves himself, how he has said to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to all who believe and trust in him, all who are called by his name through the gospel, he says, your future is now my future and my future is your future and I will not have a future without you. And on that day, you will see that future that I will bring to you. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here. Isaiah pens and speaks these words of." of this wonderful song of praise, Isaiah 12, these great words in one of the worst times in Israel's history, you know? This is when Judah was wondering if it was gonna make it because Uzziah had died, one of the great kings, and all of a sudden Ahaz comes on the throne and they are threatened by Syria and Northern Israel, and then Assyria, and all the other powers around them, and it was a total existential threat. Are they going to even last? Will they ever make it? Are they going to be a people at all? And that's when Isaiah says, on that day, you will say. He speaks words of light and greatness in the midst of the darkness of this world. And he says, God is my salvation and he's sure of what God is going to do in the future. The best words at the worst time. Now, why do I say that's important? Because I think so often I do this, I think we're all been doing this the last couple of years. We're looking at how twisted this world has gotten, how funky it all is right now, trying to figure out what this whole morass around us is about. We're trying to explain it, come to some conclusions, figure out when we're going to finally get to the end of whatever. And um, often, not just then, but also we look at our own personal lives and often We see some of the twisted and weird thoughts that we've had and what we've wanted to do and how we're feeling and what's going on. We may be facing very difficult circumstances in life. And so often we start getting to the point where we feel like no one else, no one understands. We're in a particularly unique situation ourselves. Depression and anxiety, by their very nature, isolate us and separate us out. And we think no one can understand it. No one has gone through this. No one feels like this. Depression gives you tunnel vision. All you can see is yourself and your situation. Anxiety <laughs> anxiety just narrows our focus so that we can't see things clearly. And we think somehow we're going to have to figure it out. We're going to have to get out of this funk somehow, or we don't know how, or we've got to solve it ourselves. And these words of Isaiah tell us something different. What's interesting, too, is um, Paul would look back at the whole history of Israel. And he told the Corinthian church this. The the Corinthian church itself was a mess. And he said, you know what? Your messes are no new things. (laughs) God's people have been struggling with these things all along. And everything that happened in Israel, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, happened for the very purpose of teaching us that we're just like them. We've gone through the same things. And so they're a lesson to you. Try to learn from that, that you're not alone. What you're going through is very common. These temptations always come, and God has a way to bring you through it. And that's when Paul summarizes that whole passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I know we did a series um, a while back um, called God Never Said That. And I think that was it, where we said... Uh, God never said, oh, you know, a lot of people say, God will never give you something that you can't handle. That's not in the Bible. And that's not what this passage says. What this passage says is, God will never give you something that God can't handle. It's a God-centered book. It's not a me-centered book of virtues and can-do and self-help. And No, it's a God-centered book. So whatever you're facing, whatever tangled mess you're in, Isaiah understands it. And he still says, you're going to sing this song of praise. On that day, you will say, God is my salvation. Notice God. Notice how he says that, too. He says, God is my salvation. Not that God is the means to my salvation. God isn't the way through which if I use God, I'll get to something else. No, God is my salvation. John Oswald, in his commentary in Isaiah on this specific passage, writes this. Whenever Israel focuses primarily upon her needs, she is in difficulty. For supply of those needs becomes the ultimate goal and all else, including the sovereign of the universe, becomes a means to the end. Just gonna stop there for a moment. Sadly, I see a lot of people in this situation where Christianity, where the church, where this or that just becomes a means to some other end. So I use God to get blessed. I use God to get this or that that I want. God becomes the means to a different end. And Oswald says, This attitude is sure prescription for spiritual disaster. Thus, praise and thanksgiving are essential to robust spiritual life. Not because God needs them like some neurotic tyrant, but because we need to give them. It is only in this way that we can refocus our attention upon how much we have received from a loving heavenly father and in that appreciation stop attempting to use him as our servant, which He calls idolatry. So Isaiah is penning these words of hope, not just because one day they are going to be fulfilled and this is the song that we are going to sing and we are going to be praising God on that day, we will see that he is our salvation. But also so that maybe at the time that he was living in some of the worst times in Israel's history, that Israel would stop focusing on themselves and their own needs and seeing their God and his promises, to stop looking inwardly and instead look to God who is their salvation. So Isaiah 12, what comes before it? Isaiah 11. And a couple weeks ago, um, Carl uh, Gaelic preached on this uh, wonderful verse, right? And in it, he was speaking about the shoot that comes up from the stump of Jesse. And how through this shoot that comes out of this stump, that the world will... God will break through with peace. That is the day. On that day, you will say, salvation belongs to our God. God is my salvation. And we know that shoot from the stump of Jesse. Well, that might be a little confusing as far as biblical analogies or metaphors. So Jesse was the father of King David and David was the first kind of in the line that was promised that, David was promised that there would always be a king on the throne, but Isaiah is saying that tree is getting chopped down, and it was. It was totally eliminated. Jehoiachin was the last of all the kings. They ended up in Babylon. He was put in prison. When they returned to the land, there is no more king from the line of David, but one day a tiny shoot did emerge from that stump. And we know who he is, the name Jesus. And he ruled in such a way, <laughs> he didn't ru- rule like a tiny shoot. He didn't look majestic and awesome and amazing. He was humble and just, truthful and loving and totally royal and truly a king, proclaiming a kingdom. But a kingdom that was not like anything this world has ever seen. And he brought about salvation through his own damnation. He brought about victory through his own defeat. He brought about our help by being stripped of all aids himself. And his cross is the salvation that we see. And on that day, you will say, and he brings that peace. Surely it is God who saves me. He is my strength and my song, and has become my salvation. So we look at the day of Christ's birth. We celebrate that. We celebrate the day of his death and resurrection. And we look forward to the day when we're going to see him face to face. On that day, you're going to say salvation belongs to our God. We're going to be amazed. We're going to give thanks to our God. Surely it is true. And I think we're all looking forward to that day. We're looking forward to that day because some of these days we've had have not been the best of times. It's been difficult. On that day, you will say, and we will see it. And that brings us to our second phrase, and I think this is fascinating, too, in this text. With joy, you will bring water from the wells of salvation. Now, this is another metaphor. I mean, in our day and age, especially in Florida, we got water everywhere, but in the Middle East and in Israel itself, wells were extremely important. They were vital. You couldn't live too far away from a water source. And I don't know if you know much about Israel's topography. It's very similar in some ways to California, the Mediterranean climate pretty well desert-like with very few rains in the winter. So the well becomes the only place you're going to find water consistently. You can't live too far away from a well. You better know where it is. So it is vital for the people of Israel to know where to find water on a regular basis. Every day they had to draw that water. To know that water is important is one thing, right? To know where you can get that water and have it accessible to you is another. You need to draw water with joy from the, from the well of salvation. While studying Isaiah 12 this week, what I found out is that that verse starts a whole new section in this song. It goes from the singular God is my salvation, to the plural, we together draw waters of salvation. I think too many people know about God in the abstract. What I mean that is they know there is a God, they know God is good, they know God is omnipotent, he's available somewhere, maybe, but they really don't have any access to him they don't know where he really is for them they have no place where they connect to they don't have a well in a sense to go to they know about water but they don't have access to it we draw waters from the springs of salvation just like the people of a village in the middle east draw water together in the middle of the day or in the morning salvation is something that you get to draw water on every day. It's not something just for the end of time. It's not something that we just look forward to. It's something as Isaiah says you can draw from each day. And the question is how do you do that, right? And Isaiah is basically saying we do it together. We do it together. We call on his name together. We make known his deeds among the people together. There are many ways to draw on the waters of salvation. And I think we need to be doing that more. What's so sad, I think, that I have been seeing over the last couple of years is how we have been getting cut off from everyone else. How we have turned into ourselves and thought, well, you know, I don't really need to be as connected. And the Christian church, the whole idea of Christianity is it's not a solo religion. It's not done in isolation. Yes, it's very personal, but it's also extremely community-oriented. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I am there. That's where you access that water. That's where you gain the joy of salvation every day. So it's not just to look forward, someday we're going to have it. Today, you get to have it. There are ways to draw waters from salvation. And we have them here at Thrive. There are other ways to do it as well, but we've got our home huddles and our Bible studies and our worship and just community itself. Isaiah calls on us to do that daily, to do that regularly, and not to just look uh, to someday maybe I'll get there. Knowing you need water is one thing. Being finally so thirsty and tired of Finding dry wells, time and again, that cannot quench your thirst in this world is another, so that you turn and instead draw the joy, draw the water of salvation from the source, the living water, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you as um, you know the tangled mess this world is in. You also know, Lord, um, your plans. And we know where we're headed, Lord. It is not. (laughs) We may, uh, once in a while, see disasters and difficulties and things falling apart in our society, just like Isaiah did in his day and his age, and the people wondering where things were going. But we know, Lord, ultimately, in the end, you are our salvation. Lord Jesus, through your death and resurrection, you accomplished it. You gave up your life to give us that life, to give us salvation. You are not a means to another end. You are our end goal, Lord. You are our all in all. We pray, Lord, as we uh, complete this series, Lord, that um, you just fill us with that joy and that we would um, dedicate ourselves to receiving and drawing water from the well of salvation every day, to receive from your word, to be a part of community, to encourage one another, to proclaim your name day after day. Lord, that um, we don't forget where we're headed. We don't get caught up in this world and the mess it's in, but we see, Lord, how you are going to untangle it all and take us to be with you forever. Thank you, Lord, as we're coming to the end of 2021. We pray that you will be with us in 2022. That you will use our time in this coming year so that we can be drawing that water of salvation. That we know that you are our salvation. And that we find in you everything that we need from day to day. And we find in community, Lord, your presence, your peace, your spirit upon us. Lord, we thank you um, that you offer to us again yourself in a very profound way. And we offer ourselves to you As we uh, prepare our hearts now to receive uh, the Lord's Supper that you provided for your disciples that first night, and you provide for all of us, Lord, we ask that you would commune with us and we with you, and that you draw us closer to you than we've ever been before, and we receive again the source of life, your very presence into our hearts and into our minds and into our whole beings, Forgive us, Lord, for how we have gone after (laughs) dry wells, whatever they happen to be. And instead, Lord, move us to seek you daily and your kingdom above all. All this we pray in Jesus' name.